0: Good morning. Enjoyed singing with you this morning. Appreciate uh, Micah and, and the praise team and their work and how he always ties the, the worship of through music with the word. We begin in, in earnest our new study in Second Peter this morning. So if you got a Bible, turn to Second Peter one, verse one. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the table. Uh, you're also going to need an outline. Make sure it's got both copies to it, and also avail yourself of an info guide, and let you know what's going on in the life of our church. This is an exciting day, just emotionally for us, as Parkwood, and it might have confused you if you were in here a little early and you saw some pictures, you're going, that's not pictures of here, that's, that's right, and so three years ago today, we had our first trial service, and uh, before that was a lot of work, and a lot of planning, and a lot of preparation, and the building that the Lord provided for us. A lot of work and and uh, and so just a just a really an amazing to see what God has done and you're a proof of that. If I got you to raise your hands of how many were here at the beginning, we would we would see a few hands. And if I asked you if you're not here, a lot of hands. And that's an answer to prayer. What God has done and and so we're just so thankful for that. And so Second Peter, an important letter, not only. For those that it was originally written to, but for us today. And so if, if anything this morning that you're going to get out of the message, don't miss the context this morning. Because the context lays out the foundation and the understanding for the rest of the book. And what my fear is, is oftentimes many of us love 2 Peter chapter 3, and we quote it, and we love many things that it says, but oftentimes we quote it out of context. And so the context this morning is really important. And so this message is going to lay out a little bit more in the introduction by way of context. But stand with us now in honor of God's Word as we begin in 2 Peter. We begin in chapter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them You may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So Lord, uh, we need your help this morning as we sit here on Sunday morning after a long week and many of us a very hard week and Lord, there could be things and emotions and things going on in the service itself. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts and mind, that you would protect us as we protect each other. And, Lord, that you would give us your wisdom. Lord, now we need to see you. We need to see what this letter meant to the original, original audience. So, Lord, help us, we pray. This is your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. you can be seated so if you 've got your info guide on the front of the page, there's a couple of websites there at the top. Um, many of those have apps that you can put on your phone. they're there just to simply encourage you to check those things out. Um, for because Genesis was a little different for some of you, this may be the first time that you're going to be exposed to a very expositional verse by verse kind of Understand is the way we're going to work through Second Peter. Sometimes not only verse by verse, sometimes word by word. And so when I say this word means this, what I didn't do is look it up in Webster's Dictionary this week and say that's what it means. It's not. God has ordained His word to be spoken in a particular language. And it is a very powerful language and we must understand the language to understand what God has said. And so these are just... Tools that could help you understand on your own what God's Word means. Because God does not mean what He does not say. And so this morning, just a little context as we start. Who wrote the book of Peter? It seems to be obvious, but you would be surprised how much debate 2 Peter has fostered because of the language and other things. But very clear at the beginning, we... Peter uses both names, Simon Peter, most likely for a point of clarity of who he is. When did he write it and who did he write it to? Most people think 2 Peter was written shortly before his death. According to extra-biblical accounts, both Paul and Peter was martyred by Nero shortly before Nero's death. And so that puts it before 68 A.D., so most likely this letter was written somewhere around 65 to 68, although some put it a little earlier than that. Who's he writing to? I want you to see just a couple of clues. Their answer, their answer honestly, is we're not completely 100% sure, other, other than the fact that they were believers. Second Peter 3.15 says, if you notice there, that these people that originally received this letter had also received a letter from Paul. Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you. We can also tell in 2 Peter 3, verse 1, that they had already received one letter from Peter. The second letter. So most people are assuming then that the first letter they received was 1 Peter. But there could have been another letter that wasn't preserved. We don't know for sure, but that gives us a couple of clues. Most people presume it was... The same audience. If it was, it was Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. And the point, and what it is clear by the language, is this book, this letter, is written to a pro- most likely a mostly Gentile audience that had a Greek, a Hellenistic background. And he writes in a particular way, and even some of the language that he uses is is. He's pulling from their own words when he uses them. And so it's, if you read it in the original language, it's pretty amazing that this Jewish man meets these Gentiles right where they, right where they are. So why did he write it? And this is important. He writes this letter. In other words, these, most of these epistles, we, we must not think that they're written up in some kind of ivory tower, sequestered along with a wax candle, working on it for years for this treatise and this masterpiece. No, these were letters that were written to address problems. The church was having a problem, and so they wrote a letter to address the problem. And here's the problem. It's false teachers. They, and see, false teachers, they don't, they don't do frontal attacks. In other words, there could be a false teacher in here today. They're going to come and sit beside of you. They're going to make friends with you. They're going to have common interests, but make no mistake. They mean to spiritually derail you. So this was the problem. These were were Hellenistic thinkers, these false teachers. People with this Greek, even some would say pre-Gnostic kind of thinking. In other words, one of their core issues, and this drives through the whole rest of the letter, is they denied the second coming. They denied the future judgment. In other words, no eschatology here. No, no divine anything. You know, in other words, what so what did this cause? Because they, wasn't, they were saying there's no second coming. There's, God's not going to make everything right in the end. They lived however they wanted to live. They ascended to this knowledge, but they lived like pigs. And they came into the church. They were attempting to adapt Christianity to their Hellenistic culture. This is important. Because they treated Christianity like a wax nose. That they could just stick on a culture and conform it to however they wanted to. And Peter says, "Uh, no way. Make no mistake, in our rock star culture Christianity, to where people rent out coliseums and fill it up to give people good advice and spiritual pep talks that's devoid of the gospel, it is alive and well in America today and all over the world. People who, who, are, who get deceived by this, not only through going to their churches, but listening to them on the internet or on the TV are deceived. And they bring that deception into the body of Christ. And so what does it produce in the life of church? It produces missionless Christians. Christians who come to church for comfort, not mission. For, not for equipping, but just so they can check it off their list. Peter is concerned about this. He's concerned that God's people stand and not fall. And so we see this tension beginning in the very beginning. So how's he going to do this in this letter? He's simply going to remind them. He's going to remind them. And he's going to remind them. And he's going to remind them. Of what? The gospel that was given. I heard one brother say, especially to those who have, like me, more white gaining on us every day on our, on our hair, and sometimes it's starting to turn loose. That for many of us, we don't need to learn anything new. We simply need to be reminded of what we have learned. And so that's what Peter's going to do. And so Peter wants God's people to remember first God's provision of grace and peace. So listen to how he begins this. See, he begins this letter, Simon Peter. A servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So, right off the bat, Peter's remembering God's provision for him in his, both his identity and in his very purpose. And listen, here's what he's not saying here at the beginning Simon Peter, a volunteer for Jesus Christ. Not saying that, that's not what it means. He does not say that Simon Peter, a hired hand. Jesus, No, no. He says Simon Peter, a doulos, a slave. That's what it means. What is a slave? It was the duty of a slave to obey his master no matter the cost. His will is bound up in his master's will. That's how he begins his letter. Before he uses, and he's going to, his apostolic authority, he tensions it with humility. Who I am? I'm a slave of Christ. Even in a parallel book, Jude, who parallels 2 Peter, they're dealing with the same problems. The resemblance is is amazing. The half-brother of Jesus introduces himself to Jude, slave of God, slave of Christ. So we see that, but not only this, we see apostleship. He says he's also an apostle. This informs not only who he is, it informs his purpose. You see, an apostle is a divinely commissioned witness of the Lord's resurrection. Who has been given the authority to proclaim his truth. Apostleship's not something you just add on to the front of your name because you want to get a bigger audience. You had to have witnessed the Lord's resurrection. That was one of the conditions. And he had. So he's going to speak of them, of his authority as an apostle and his humility as a slave. But he's saying, this is all of the Lord. In other words, when we say the word of God, what we are saying is the word that belongs to God. It belongs to him. It's not mine. He his. He gives it. So he's showing ownership even in his apostleship. To those, look. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, He's pointing now to God's provision of salvation of not only for him as Peter, but for the recipients, this church. He said, you've obtained. And that word obtained means to obtain by lot. Do you remember how lots were used in the Bible? Do you remember when Judas betrayed Jesus and he ends up committing suicide and a little bit later they replaced him? Do you remember how they replaced one of the apostles? They cast lots. Why? To let fate decide? No. To let God decide. That's the purpose. That's what this word means. It means, look at what it look what he's saying, obtained a faith. He's saying, your faith and mine's a gift from God. God gave it to us. Ephesians 2:8 says the same thing. We've received faith as a gift. And what it produces this means something. Think about it. This is a Gentile audience. Peter's a Jew. He's saying, This faith we received, in which we now stand, equal standing. Equal standing. My apostleship does not put me over you in some kind of spiritual hierarchy. No, no. We have a faith of equal standing. We are both now equal. We were equal without God, equally condemned. Now we have equal standing. And he wants them to stand. Look at this by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, our ability to stand today, our ability one day to be rescued and reclaimed, depends entirely upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not ours. It's good news. Because you see, it was Christ alone who lived this life without falling. The rest of us fall all the time. Christ didn't. And so it was Him alone who could atone. He could do it, and He did atone for sins. And here's His point Thus, therefore, it is Christ alone who one day will bring us home. And He will. He's coming. He's coming to judge, and he's coming to bring home his children. Equal privilege because of the cross. The way he introduces himself. And he, Christ, is both God and Savior. Look at the text. With ours, by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a complete absence of the Greek article before Savior if you were reading the original language it would make a lot of sense that both God and Savior is being ascribed to one person Jesus Christ this is an emphatic claim that Jesus Christ is God it is not distinguishing and it is him who brings blessings and peace he, wants, he said he brings us blessings and peace and he wants this peace to be multiplied turn with me to Romans 5 1 and 2 so grace and peace here is put together to describe the, this blessed condition of being right with God. What does it mean to be right with God? Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by His faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, what, is it, what, is, what he's saying in Second Peter is that our grace and peace, yes, it had a beginning time. Once we did not have grace, once we had not received mercy, now we have. Once we were enemies of God, now we have peace with God. But it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's meant to be multiplied. And it's multiplied in our actual lives. And so the flashing light as, he, as, as Peter writes his introduction is false teaching. This is the problem. This is the purpose of writing the letter. That light is flashing. Heretics in, in the church. There's false teachers. They're undermining my people. They're undermining God's people. And he's saying, what's the best safeguard? Look at what it says. Knowledge of God. This is a foundation of the whole letter. The problem, false teaching. Your greatest weapon, knowing God. Especially, look at it, the blessings of knowing Jesus. We're going to look at this more in just a minute in the next verse, but I just want you to see the object of the knowledge is Christ. Why? Because we would have no grace and peace if it were not for Christ for His person. We want to know His person. We just don't take His privileges. We must know Him. This is why knowledge plays a key role in this whole letter. You see, Peter, to begin to remind them is is a blessing in itself. It is a blessing to be reminded we all know, I, I can't remember who said it, it could have been Pastor Jeff at, the, at, Ga, at our Gastonia campus. He said, I need to be reminded because I leak. I <laughs> leak? That which I've studied two years ago, it's... Now what was that? Second Peter 1 verse 12, we saw it on the bumper video. Therefore I, I intend always to remind you of these qualities... That you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Look at verse 13. I think it is right as long as I am in the body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Verse 15. I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Look at, look at this word. It's an important word for our, all The weeks to come, the word remind, verse 12. That means to cause to think of again. And in verse 13, he says, I'm gonna stir you up. What does that mean? It means wake up. (laughs) That's what he means. He said, He said, Listen, I know that I'm not gonna be here much longer. Christ told me this is gonna happen, it's gonna happen. But here's my intention: that as long as I'm here, as long as I'm alive. I'm going to remind you, I'm going to say, you need to wake up of who's sitting beside of you. You need to wake up of what you're listening to in the car, driving to work. You need to wake up if you think you can have some, some knowledge about God that doesn't affect the way you live before God. You need to wake up. This is what He's saying. We need to be reminded this morning, and Peter wants God's people to know, to remember. The comprehensive generosity of God's provision. It's amazing. Look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. As I worked out my main point, I was like, remember the... I knew I wanted to think of how generous this was. I had the word extravagant because God's generosity is extravagant. But it's also comprehensive. What, what do I mean by that? Uh, how many people like to go to Ikea? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah. yeah, see, I knew that. Did any guys raise their hand? <laughs> Dude, you just need to leave. <laughs> and I can't stand going there. But i tell you what I, do, what I do enjoy. I enjoy putting stuff together. I worked as a machinist for 30 years. I like using my hands and and I, she can take the kids and they can go over there and eat those meat, nasty meatball things while they're over there and <laughs> buy all that stuff. And but here's what, here's my point. Let me get back on topic here. Is when you when you buy something, let's say it's a bookcase or something, and you open it up, most of the time there's this little cardboard container or there's this bag that's sealed, and it says on there, all items necessary for assembly are included. In other words, they got the Allen wrench, they got the screwdriver, they got all those little special tools that you need. That's what that's what verse three is saying. That God in Christ has given us everything that pertains. In other words, everything we need, not everything we want. That pertains to life and godliness. And here's how it lays out in verse three and four: God provides the resources. He guarantees the results. He reveals the roadmap to get there, and he promises us reward at the end of the journey. He does all this to set up his ref- refuting false teaching. So God provides the resources. How? Look at verse 3 by his divine power. That's how. This divine power in verse 2 makes clear that it comes from Christ. Power comes from Christ. This is a word we're very familiar with. I know if you've heard any messages that has the word power in it, you're familiar. This is the word dunamis, the word dynamite. And it's immediately when we begin to think of dynamite, we need to correct our minds this morning because here's what we think of dynamite: it's some kind of big, giant explosion that wreaks havoc and then it's gone, and we have to sweep up the pieces. This is not. This is a different kind of power. This is like the fuel in your car power. It's not flashy, doesn't have some huge bang, but it works. It's dependable. it is consistent, and it is divine. So look with me at Ephesians 1. Where's another example of this divine power working? Ephesians 1:19. Ephesians 1 verse 19 says, "And what? is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's the divine power that has been given to God's children. It's divine in its nature. It works. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and secured His place at the right hand of the Father. It's been granted to us. That word granted. See the word? Has granted. Hang with me. This is important. That's perfect tense passive voice. What is, why is that important? Perfect means that it happened at a point in time in the past, but it has continuing effects into the present. But it's been granted. That's passive. That means you didn't do it. You didn't ascend to it and grab it. It's been, it's been done to you. It's been given to you. And so, think about these Greek philosophers thinking. He's saying very clearly, this divine power, you can't, it's not something that you can attain to and somehow gain. In other words, this power doesn't cause some higher state of consciousness whereby we ascend so far above even our own flesh that is bad anyway, that it really doesn't matter what, what our flesh does. It doesn't really matter what we do in our life because we've ascended to this higher knowledge. This is what we're fighting against. He's saying, no, you need to understand something. This divine power, how we know the results of it, it's because if the results of it is in your actual life. It's not something you ascend to up here that doesn't affect how you live. It affects everything about you, especially how you live. God guarantees the results. Verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, this divine power is intended to fuel until we arrive safely at home. And this is not home. Until we arrive safely at home, this is the fuel for our life and godliness. You see what he's doing? He's undermining this false teaching from the very beginning. No, no. God guarantees His divine power is worked out in our actual life. We're going to look at this more next week. But this is both life and godliness. Godliness is practical conduct. We're going to see that as we talk next week. In other words, Christ provides everything necessary for us to flesh out this Christian life in our actual life. He promises it. Next week we'll look at this progressive maturity that extends through our whole life. But this is His point. There is something coming. And here's what He's he's saying God does not do here's salvation, knock yourself out, good luck. It's not what he does. He said he gives us, he promises us everything necessary to accomplish what God has ordained for us to accomplish. So God provides the divine power. He guarantees the results in our actual godly lives. But listen, God includes the roadmap. How do we get there? How do I experience this divine power? So I, I enjoy riding a motorcycle. I don't get to do it much, but when I do, I enjoy it. Like I used to try GPS, that didn't work very well riding a motorcycle. You can't look at it and see what's going and you can't. But it just didn't work for me. And so I, I, like, I like a paper map. So I put on my leather jacket. I wish Rick was here. See, he, he could relate to this. I, I put on my leather jacket, I got my zipper, and I unplug my zipper, and I, I got my little paper map, and I, I got it folded up except for destination around where I'm at. And I pick a road, the most back road I can find, that's it. And then I drive it to a certain place, and I pull out my map again until I, I get to my destination. So how does God infuse into our actual lives the divine power to stand? How do we get there? How do we stand and not fall? Peter is very clear. God, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and God's men, Verse 3, and Godliness through the knowledge of Him. And so, I don't have a mystical pill this morning. I don't have seven secrets for a successful life. I only have what Peter had to give. If you want to experience divine power in your life, the path to get there is knowing God. There's no other way. Verses 2 and verses 3, he uses the word epinosis. Most people recognize gnosis, it just means knowledge. He adds epi in front of it. This is full knowledge, the most intimate kind of knowledge, but also, look with me in 2 Peter. Look down at verses 5 and 6. We're going to look at those next week. But you see the same word, knowledge? It's different. It's the word gnosis. And so we have gnosis and we have epinosis within a couple of verses of each other. And so here in the text, he's talking about the most intimate kind of knowledge. Full knowledge. Gnosis is a practical knowledge. Wisdom understanding, a good sense. We're going to look at that next week. But listen, both together represents the knowledge of God. There is a beginning to where at our conversion, God grants to us this knowledge to be able to see Him. He regenerates our very nature and we see Him. We see our sin in light of His holiness and we see Him we put our faith in Him. This is the beginning. But it extends our whole life. But listen to me. Biblical writers never, they never divorce the head from the heart in terms of our spiritual growth. Think about this with me. If we think that, that Christ and our relationship to Him is just this intimate Emotion and feeling. It would be like having a GPS, and I got to go to Georgia, and I don't know where I'm going. I pull up my GPS, and I say, "Okay, I'm going to Georgia in this location," and and my my GPS begins to talk to me. It says, "Good morning, Stephen. How you doing this morning?" It says, "Well, I need to go here." It says, "Well, Stephen." Your, your perspective on this is just as important as mine. I, I value your per, perception. And, and you know, whatever you decide of how to get there, I am with you every step of the way. I mean, isn't that ridiculous? What are you going to do? that? dog, oh, you're really personal. But you give me no objective knowledge that's practical that I can understand that helps me get to where I'm trying to go. That's not what Christ gives us. He gives us both the ability to know him, the ability to love him, the ability to desire him, but he gives us objective, real knowledge in our everyday life. It's what he gives us. He gives us what we need. Peter is saying Christ provides for you everything in your life to see that your actual life is conformed into the image of Christ. It's a promise. And for those who pray in God's will, that is the motivation of why we pray. So we as believers oftentimes limit this to, I came to know Christ. But make sure you always clarify the point. Yes, there was a moment where you didn't know and now you do know. But if you do know now, you are wanting to know right now. That which happened to you in the past continues on to eternity. And it only grows. This is the secret to standing firm. Look at this. It says, through the knowledge, verse 3, through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and exodus. Do you see the word who called? What does that mean? Listen to this quote. English readers are apt to understand calling in terms of an invitation that can be accepted or rejected. Peter has something deeper in mind. God's call is effective, awakening, and creating faith. This is why it's sure. 1 Peter 2.9 Peter saying the same thing, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How? Look at this. Who called us? See the word to right there? The better rendering is by. Let's read it that way for a second. Who called us by his own glory and excellence. His own glory and excellence. Why you've been called? That's why it can't fail. It's by His own glory and His own excellence. What does that mean? Glory refers to Christ's splendor. It is talking about His divinity. It is His majesty when we stand up and sing about the majesty of Christ. It's what we're reflecting. Glory. But also excellence. This is His moral goodness. He's saying that because He's going somewhere with this. He's pointing out Christ. Moral excellence. Christianity knows nothing of someone who says, How we live doesn't matter. Here's what he says: Christ's moral excellence was necessary because he had to live a perfect life. In other words, if your morality doesn't matter, then does Christ not matter? Because if Christ's moral morality didn't matter, we would all be going to hell. Because He had to live a perfect life if He was going to atone for us, our sins. And so we display with our actual lives His moral excellence. That's our desire. It's because He is holy. We desire to be holy. These promises are precious. Do you see it? Look at verse 4. By which He granted to us very... Precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. That we as Christians inherit something. Something that's precious. Why? Here's what He promises us. To share in something and to escape something. So what are we sharing in? What does it mean to share in the divine nature? We've got to understand this is a context thing. But the context here is that these false teachers are saying there's no second coming. There's no divine judgment. This is a higher thinking and lower living kind of problem that he's dealing with. And so what he's thinking is absolutely there is a now and a not yet to both of this partaking in the divine nature and escaping corruption. There's a now and a not yet. But here's what Peter wants to drive home. There's a not yet coming. That's his focus. Peter wasn't saying that Christians will become gods, these little deities. You need to pay attention to what we're listening to because oftentimes, these, these, when somebody begins to talk about speaking something into being, that's what they believe that they're little gods. This is not what Peter's saying, it's the exact opposite. He's not saying that we're going to be absorbed into some kind of great deity. He's saying this divine nature in its fullness will be experienced when Christ comes. We're going to share in its fullness. And yes, there's a now and a not yet. 1 John 3.2 helps us see the now and the not yet. It says, beloved, we are God's children now. That's the now. What are you now? If you're in Christ, you're one of His children. And what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. Do you see it? Same message. There's coming a sharing. When we will see Him as He is. But not only are we will one day we share completely in His divine nature, one day we will completely escape Don't misunderstand that. He's not talking about an escapism theology. He's not talking about escaping suffering. Peter knows he's going to die. And he's not in the least bit worried about it. He's not, is he? He's like, i got a mission. I'm going to keep reminding you as long as i got breath in my lungs. What Nero wants to do, that's that's, that's on God. God can take me when He wants to, but I've got a mission. So it's not about that. What is it about? Is having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He describes this ultimate Christian freedom freedom from things, freedom from the corruption of sin in our actual lives, in our actual bodies, in this actual world. And he says, That's coming, it's a promise. So do you see what he's doing? He's saying these false teachers, by, by trying to remove the second coming, by trying to remove the divine judgment, he's undercutting, they're undercutting the whole Gospel. Because if there, if there is no sure promise that one day I will be free from this body of sin and corruption, if one day it is not, it is not true that I will see Him as He is, then the whole Gospel is a sham. Because that's what he's promised in the beginning—that what was broken will be made right. And if I cannot trust it, I cannot trust any of it. That's what's at stake here by what we believe. This corruption is real. I experienced that yesterday. What does that word mean? And so apparently we had an exterminator come out, and Christine uh, said, "I can't believe you're saying that," and uh, it's just true, you know. And uh, I had an exterminator come out. Apparently there was a couple of mice underneath the crawl space. And so they put those little sticky traps underneath there. Well, the problem was they didn't tell us they did it. And they worked. Worked really well. And so they put them right there at the crawl space door. And I'm going over there to work on something else. And I opened that door. And what did I experience? Corruption. (laughs) What does this mean? Actively decaying. listen to me this morning, you may think that your secret sin doesn't matter. The Bible says it's actively killing you. That's what it says. And to listen to someone who leaves it out of the message is to listen to false teaching. There is no beauty of the gospel without somebody understand that your sin is killing you. And there is a second coming happen. And when when that comes, judgment comes. And the misery that you face now is your best life now. Because when a second coming comes, if you do not have God's Christ righteousness covering you, you will stand naked before a holy God and give an account for everything that you've done. That's what he's saying is at stake here if we do not understand what we believe. Second Peter 2:19 says the promise they promised them and he's talking about these false teachers now they promised them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption you need to underline this in your bible and put stars around it today for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved are you enslaved today because Christ promised freedom look at Romans 6 Verse 17, this is now, but thanks be to God that you are once slaves of sin and have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18, having been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. That's how Peter introduced himself. I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a slave of righteousness. It's right now. But listen, Peter's main point this morning it's pointing to the second coming. It's pointing to his return. Romans 8:21 says that, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of bondage to corruption. Listen to what it says. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, we messed everything up. We did. Our sin not only hurts us and those around us, it affects creation. And one day, He's going to return, and we will be glorified, those that are in Christ, and this creation will be set free from its bondage. There will be a new creation. It's a promise from God. He's saying, Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Revelation 21 is coming, it's a promise. What does it to say, "One day the Lord will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away." Okay? This is the introduction. Second Peter. He's just getting started. So what's the point? You need to remember to stand firm against false teachers. That will come. Listen, look at me. They're here. They're here. The greatest warning that I can give you this morning is not simply imminent persecution within the church, it is active false teaching that is going on right now. What are you doing to stand firm? How do I stand firm? Turn with me to Philippians 3. Remember, Philippians, Paul's in prison. How's Paul standing firm in prison? I mean, think about this with me. Think about if you were Paul. Most effective church planner on the face of the earth. You ever seen where he went, what he did on his feet? He's in prison. What was all that I had to do? Why would you stick me here? Here's, here's, how, here's what he understood. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that comes, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His suffering is becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul's life was driven by eternity. If you understand eternity, it gives your life a sense of urgency. And if you remove a longing for eternity from your actual life. Your life will follow suit. And you will live a life with no sense of urgency. Our life, our desire, Peter's desire, Paul's desire. Was that they experience both epinosis and gnosis. Both intimate knowledge and practical knowledge. Both personal knowledge and intellectual knowledge. They wanted Oh why? So that they might know Him. So that I might know Him. So that I might understand what His book says. Men, do you study your wife? Do you know what makes her happy? What makes her sad? Do you know what she delights in and what she's afraid of? Do you know what she longs for? if she can have just a little bit of a moment or a little bit of a break or a little bit of anything, do you know what that is? And if your answer is yes, it is because you know someone that you love. You know somebody that you desire. The question is, why do we understand that in our relationships but we miss it with God? The One who saves us. Jude. I said before, is a book that stands right beside of 2 Peter. Listen to what Jude 3 and 4 says. And we'll close with this. He says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about a common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you. In other words, stop for a minute. What is he saying? He's saying, I'd rather just write to you and talk about the the wonder and the majesty of Christ, but I felt it necessary to write to you appealing to you to contend for the faith once and all delivered to the saints. Why? Because of what was crept in. Verse 4. For certain people have crept in notice, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master, our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice with me in verse 3. It says... Brothers and sisters, contend for the faith. What does that mean? It means today, I urge you to remember that you exist on this earth to strenuously labor for the faith. That's what that means. God did not call you to an easy believism, God did not call you to make you and your family comfortable. He calls you to a mission. To know Him and to make Him known. What we believe must be guarded. It must be protected. And we are responsible to do it. Do you know Him? Are you prepared to defend His Lordship? Because that's where they attack first. They'll attack His deity. They'll attack His humanity. But people hate Lordship. And so, brothers and sisters, do you love it? Do you love the fact? Could you? Would you stand at the end of a uh, your your biographical of yourself and say, Stephen, slave of God? Uh, one brother said, "This heaven." will be an infinite tracking down of the glories of God. When does that begin? It begins now. God, I wonder how many times that in our prayer life we just pause and say, I can't believe that I have the privilege to talk to God and that you've promised me that through Christ you always hear me. because of Christ I have been indwelled with God could that be true in my life and there be no power oh God now as we come to this time of response how shall we respond so God there's either two types of people in the room those that know you and those that don't. Those whom you know and those whom will you will say one day, I never knew you. And so Lord, would you open the eyes of those who do not see and show them your holiness. Show them your mercy. And God, our prayer Is for those of us who are here who know you. That, Lord, today we need to be reminded of who you are. Today I need to be reminded of who I am in you. So, Lord, we praise you for your grace and your mercy, and now we stand. our feet and sing this beautiful song I pray that these are not words but that these words are the very song of our hearts that our very souls as we sing this would leap inside of us of what it feels like be loved by God stand with us and sing